Welcome to episode 32 of Wild Utah, the podcast of the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. I'm Dave Pacheco. As reported in episode 5 in February 2019, as part of the John D. Dingell Jr. Conservation Management and Recreation Act, Congress passed the Emory County Public Land Management Act, which designated, among other things, 17 new wilderness areas, totaling 663,000 acres, the San Rafael Swell Recreation Area, and three wild and scenic segments on the Green River. The measure represented a major step forward in protection of Utah's public lands, and it wouldn't have happened without the support of Red Rock advocates like you. As a result of these new designations, the BLM's Price Field Office must update its management plan for each of the affected areas, a process that will take well over a year to complete. The Bureau just wrapped up the initial scoping or issue identification phase of its public process on January 7th. In that phase, we asked you to tell the agency you want these new plans to prioritize the protection of natural, cultural, scenic, and wildlife values. In an upcoming and more detailed comment phase, the public will be asked to comment on a range of alternative management strategies, and SUA will let you know which alternative we support. Throughout this process, we'll ask you to expect and demand that the agency under new leadership in the Biden administration prioritizes protection of natural, cultural, scenic, and wildlife values from the impacts of motorized recreation and irresponsible development. What we can't do is sit back and expect the administration to make the right decision on their own. They need you, the people who love these lands, to make them do the right thing. Joining us today to enlighten us about the Bureau of Land Management's process in regards to adopting management plans for the San Rafael Swell and surrounding public lands is SUA Wildlands Attorney Judy Brower. Judy? Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So Congress designated several wilderness areas in Emory County in 2019, along with a new San Rafael Swell Recreation Area and some wild and scenic sections of the Green River. Explain to us how and to what extent the legislation serves as a guidepost for the Bureau to adopt more detailed, specific on-the-ground management practices, or maybe put another way, This is the implementation phase of what Congress ordered. What didn't the legislation specify that the agency seeks to accomplish in this management planning phase? Sure. For management of wilderness areas, it's relatively clear what can and can't happen on the ground in terms of the Wilderness Act prohibits motorized use, mining, oil and gas development in wilderness areas. So some of the things that the agency needs to figure out in its management planning for the wilderness areas is, say, hiking trails. Where will they put in new hiking trails? What are they going to do with existing hiking trails? Where can there be rock climbing or canyoneering or other non-motorized and mechanized activities? Also, commercial recreation, so guided recreation. So that's in the wilderness areas. And the San Rafael Swell Recreation Area and the Wild and Scenic River sections they're not wilderness, but they are protected to a certain extent. So that's a little bit more unclear as to what can and can't happen in those areas. There are certain resources that need to be protected in those areas, such as wildlife and scenic values and cultural values that need to be protected in those areas. 
and the BLM is creating this management plan to identify what activities such as recreation, maybe some vegetation management, motorized use can happen in those areas and where so that those resources are still protected. So for those unfamiliar with this area, this San Rafael Swell Recreation Area is really, it's a a first of its kind designated area. It's kind of shaped like a donut hole that's surrounded by wilderness, right? So there needs to be a specific management plan written for the San Rafael Recreation Area itself as separate from the wilderness plan, right? That's what we believe. So the legislation, the Dingle Act, the enacting legislation that designated this area says that the BLM shall develop a comprehensive management plan for the long-term protection and management of the recreation area. And we interpret that as a requirement to create a separate plan. Now, that separate plan would be incorporated into the existing management plan for the whole San Rafael Swell and the Price Field Office of the BLM. But it really needs to be a separate management plan because there are so many different things and resources that need to be protected and factors that need to be considered that it can't be done by just a few amendments in the current plan. It really needs to be a whole separate plan that looks at this area comprehensively. Yeah, so this conversation really harkens back to a conversation we had with Sua's Neil Clark just this past October about Sua's vision for the agency to manage recreation in a more zonal fashion, like front country versus back country. So how do you see this planning process for the San Rafael Swell Recreation Area relating to making that effort a reality? Yeah, and this is really an excellent opportunity for the BLM to do that. We issued a a literature review that Professor Chris Mons authored looking at 60 years of what they call recreation ecology, which before the report was issued, I didn't even know it was a thing, but it's actually a very big thing. And recreation ecology is very important because any of you who've been recreating, especially in the past few years, know that recreation can have big impacts on natural resources, cultural resources, but also on your use and enjoyment of an area. And so what we've seen the BLM do recently in particular is when places get too crowded, they say, oh, let's just move recreation off into this backcountry area. We'll push people over there. Well, that's really bad because it's the initial impact of creating a new hiking trail or biking trail. It's the initial creation of those trails and and initial part of that use that does the most damage. If an area is already in use, adding more use to that area, so maybe adding some additional trails, some better parking, some toilets, um, and, and making the area more accessible, that does minimal damage compared to when you are creating a whole new trail system in somewhere in the backcountry that has maybe only had one trail and, and very little use. So we really want to keep those backcountry areas protected as backcountry areas, not only for people who want that backcountry experience, but also for the plants, the wildlife, and the soils that are there and, the, you know, the vegetation and the, and the wildlife species that are there and have not yet been impacted by high levels of recreation. And so This management planning process that the BLM is undertaking for the recreation area is a really unique opportunity to do this. 
you know, where there's already a high level of recreation and near communities, that's kind of the front country. And then areas that are farther away from communities that haven't seen as much use, that's really the back country. And we really want to protect those back country areas and um, provide better opportunities for access in those front country areas. That's really where most people want to go. Yeah, well, that sounds like a reasonable way to manage these areas. It only makes sense. And I know that we highlighted that issue, that recreation kind of zonal management thing in that episode, I believe it's episode 29. Folks want to take a listen on that. It really goes into detail on why the science supports designating those types of zones. But I also, though, Judy, before we leave this subject, I want to make sure that we understand that despite its name, the San Rafael Swell Recreation Area was designated Mm -hmm. for far more than just recreation use. Um, I've heard you say that the legislation that created this area does not elevate recreation above other uses. Can you elaborate on that for us? Correct. And, And I guess I would say calling it a recreation area to me is a little unfortunate because it's not just for recreation. The Dingle Act, the enacting legislation, says that the purposes of the recreation area are to provide for the protection, conservation, and enhancement of the recreational, cultural, natural, scenic, wildlife, ecological, historical, and educational resources of the recreation area. So it's not just for recreation. It's for all of those uses, and the BLM cannot use this as an excuse to elevate recreation over those other resources and other uses. And so they really have to manage recreation very carefully so that it doesn't impair these other uses, for example, cultural resources and natural resources and wildlife and scenic. So they can't just add more and more trails and more and more trailheads that are going to impair these other uses. They all have to be considered on an even playing field. And it sounds like the challenge there through this planning process is to make sure they get it right on the front end so that the plan reflects those other values and doesn't just emphasize recreation. So, you know, I I do think that that points to the importance of people getting involved in this process. I, I want to go back to talking about the management of the designated wilderness areas. Uh, you know, one would think that Congress passing legislation designating an area as official wilderness gives it permanent protection against any development. Uh, but of course, it's not that simple in practice. You know, even in the newly designated wilderness, what still needs to be adopted through the management planning process to ensure protection of those areas? Sure. Well, they'll have to close the backcountry airstrips, which is, is required under the Wilderness Act. But also one of the big ones is the management of recreation and particularly commercial recreation. So guided tours, a lot of people want a wilderness experience, but they don't know how to get it, right? They're not maybe comfortable or able to get out into a wilderness area on their own. And so there are tours, you know, those commercial businesses that provide guided tours, which is wonderful. It really enables a lot of different people to be able to get out into wilderness areas. However, the BLM has to manage it very carefully because commercial use can bring in a lot more people into an area, which could very much impair the wilderness values of those backcountry wilderness areas. So if you're hiking in an area and you see a group of 20 people 
that really impairs the quiet and solitude of your wilderness experience. So the BLM has to be very careful in terms of authorizing the number of people that can go back in one group, where they can go, the time. They also have to consider, for example, sensitive wildlife species like bighorn sheep or Mexican spotted owl or nesting raptors. You know, when bighorn sheep are lambing, during lambing season in the spring, that's a very sensitive time. And so we really want to keep recreation out of those areas to allow those bighorn sheep to reproduce successfully. Same with Mexican spotted owl and raptors with climbing and canyoneering. Those types of uses can really impact those species. And so the BLM has to be very careful about where to not only allow commercial uses, but also just regular recreation, you know, where the trails are going to go, um, when they can be used, how they can be used, things like that. Yeah, I think in light of the increased numbers of visitors to public lands, getting these decisions right on the front end is even more important. It's very important. You know, I, I recently commented on a BLM proposal authorizing special recreation permits. So businesses that offer guided tours of, of say, wilderness areas, they have to get a special recreation permit. And the BLM recently proposed increasing the numbers of permits and the number of people allowed per group. So up to 20 people in a very small slot canyon area can not only really disrupt the wilderness values, but it can also be very dangerous. So they really have to be careful about how many people they're allowing at any one time to go into these areas, not only for preserving the wilderness values, but also protecting the safety of the people in that group and also any of the other hikers and people using those areas. Right. And that number has always been 12 as a backcountry limit that the agency has managed for. And now they're proposing to go to 20. In some places, yeah. In some places. Let's go back to the introduction. I mentioned that the Dingo legislation also designated several wild and scenic sections of the Green River. You know, our river running friends are going to want to hear more about that. So um, let's talk a little bit about more specifically how those lands are going to be managed. While, you know, of, of course, it was great that they were included. Explain what specific protection these designations do and don't provide and what the agency needs to adopt in these management plans to protect our unique and fragile river riparian corridors. Sure. And this is another area where we disagreed with the BLM. The BLM said it was just going to amend its current management plan to meet the requirements of the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act. And we think that they need to do a comprehensive river management plan, which is required by the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act. And so, again, they need to do a whole separate plan for these segments of the river, not just a few amendments to their current management plan. They really need to go back and do a comprehensive plan. And there are very specific requirements in the Wilderness Act as to what that plan must have. And that includes the number of users. So, you know, there were three different segments designated. One's a wild segment. One is a scenic segment, and one is a recreation segment. And so each of those under the Wilderness Act have different levels of protection. But what is 
the same throughout is that the BLM has to protect what are called the ORVs, Outstandingly Remarkable Values. And those are different for each segment of the river. There can be, even in a wild segment, there can be recreational values or scenic values. There are ecological values, river vegetation, water quality, and wildlife and fish and wildlife habitat. So there's a lot of things that have to go into the BLM's considerations as to what can and cannot be approved in these wild and scenic and recreational segments. So the BLM really has to go back to the drawing board and start developing these comprehensive river management plans for these three segments that looks at all of the outstandingly remarkable values and what uses can be allowed, for example, motorized use along the river corridor, um, mechanized use, hiking trails, developing recreational facilities, camping, designated campsites, the number of commercial permits that are authorized. So there's a lot that goes into how to protect these rivers to protect those values that they, you know, that they were designated to protect. Well, that's very disappointing that they won't protect the river corridors from mechanized transport and that that actually needs to be addressed in the management plan. But it looks like a challenge and it looks like one we're up to. It is a challenge. It's one we're up to. I will say that, you know, on some of the rivers, they are already protected because along the rivers, you know, on one side, it's designated as wilderness. On the other side, it's designated as a wilderness study area. So in many instances, those river banks um, and river corridors are protected, but in some cases they're not. And so for the areas where they're not protected, we really need the BLM to step up to the plate and protect those areas from motorized recreation in particular, oil and gas development, mining, and mechanized travel, things like that. You know, I'm a mountain biker, but I'm happy to, <laughs> to close off some areas to mechanized travel along these river corridors that need to be protected. Judy, I want to take a step back and look at all the wild BLM lands in Emory County. One of the focus areas that SUA and the conservation community are collectively working towards and what we've highlighted on this podcast several times before is the goal to protect 30% of America's lands and waters by 2030 or 30 by 30. And that's only nine years away now. In that negotiating process for the Emory County Public Land Management Act that passed in 2019 created all these areas, SUA and the conservation community were able to obtain protections for roughly half of the lands in Emory County that are proposed for wilderness designation in America's Red Rock Wilderness Act. So we only got about half. My question is, does the management planning process that's currently underway cover those undesignated lands? And if not, how does SUA want the agency to manage them? Sure. The current planning process does not address the other lands outside of what was protected in the Dingle Act. So the BLM will continue to manage those lands pursuant to its existing management plan. What we hope that the BLM will do, and these lands are very, very important for 30 by 30. Yes, the Dingle Act, the over 600,000 acres of protected wilderness, the recreation area, all those are a great step in the right direction. But there's so much more that needs to be done and so much land that needs to be protected. There's so much land that is open to motorized 
use and oil and gas development and mining, that we need to protect the lands that are, they may not be designated as wilderness. You know, they're outside of the lands covered by this, the Dingle Act, but they're still just as important. And so, again, hoping that the BLM will look at recreation management of all of those lands and take that zoned management approach so that we're really protecting the backcountry. We're getting motorized use out of that backcountry. We're getting rid of roads and we're getting rid of opening up all of these lands to oil and gas development and mining and protecting those lands for the future. There's plenty of, of public land that is available for, you know, motorized use and, there's a fraction that is protected. And we really need to protect those lands that are currently in the American Red Rocks Wilderness Act that are currently maybe don't have a lot of roads and are more of a backcountry experience where they provide essential wildlife habitat, essential wildlife corridors, and act as carbon sinks and act as a buffer to this climate change that we're experiencing. So it's really important that those lands are still protected and SUA is going to keep working to protect those lands. Judy, can we go so far as to say that if the agency does a good job at creating good, strong, protective management plans in this phase, that just the air of getting them, the precedent of getting them to do this may positively impact that other half of the wildlands that are still out there unprotected? Yeah, that's a good question. Unfortunately, what I'm concerned about is with these lands being protected, the BLM is going to look at the unprotected lands as kind of a sacrifice zone as, oh, we protected these lands, so we don't need to protect these anymore. And that's just not the case. The lands that were designated as wilderness have been wilderness study areas for a very long time. And so it's not a huge change in management there. They were already somewhat protected. Now that protection is more permanent. So, the BLM can't look at this as an opportunity to just open up all of the other lands outside of these wilderness areas in the recreation area to more roads, more motorized use, more development. And unfortunately, I don't know that the BLM is going to take this as an opportunity to protect those lands. Unfortunately, I think the BLM may take it as an opportunity to open them up. Well, that's something that Sua and yourself are going to be keeping a real sharp eye out for, I'm sure. Judy, I really appreciate you explaining the planning process and its importance here. Uh, I know it gets a little weedy for listeners, but because so many of us go and enjoy the Santa Fe Swell, there's a lot of interest in this issue and subsequently a lot of folks wanting to get involved. So as we noted at the top of the podcast, the scoping or issue identification stage of public input just concluded. Tell us what's the next step in the process and approximately when can the public expect an opportunity to voice support for one alternative or another? Sure. And I'll just say the public process here is so important. This is a story that I tell a lot of people who they don't really understand the uniqueness of the opportunity to participate in this public process. So when I was younger and just recently out of law school and working for a different organization and commenting on a lot of these types of things. 
Thanksgiving dinner, my dad worked in New York City and had a very international group of people he worked with. And there was a woman from China and a man from Spain who were at our house for Thanksgiving. And I was talking to them about what I do and that, you know, I sue the government. You know, I get to comment on and participate and tell the federal government how we want the lands to be managed. And then if they violate the environmental laws that we have, then we can actually take them to court. I know I just took it for granted and they were in shock. They couldn't understand that concept, right? And so the NEPA process, the National Environmental Policy Act process of having people comment and sending comments on these management plans or on site specific projects like a logging project or a road project is so important for public land users to tell the government what they want. And the government listens, and they have to follow certain laws. And so it's a really unique opportunity for us to participate in this process and to comment and to let the BLM, let the federal government know what we want, that we want protection, that we want 30 by 30, that we want these areas protected for wildlife and for cultural resources and for scenic values not just open to the oil and gas industry or, you know, motorized vehicles traveling all over the place. We want these areas protected. So it's really important to to make your voice heard. And the next stage of the process is the BLM is going to review all of the comments. And I will say it's going to take them probably quite a long time because we filed very long and detailed comments. And I know a lot of our supporters also filed comments, and we really appreciate that. And so the BLM is going to review those comments and they're going to develop what's called an environmental impact statement or an environmental assessment. An environmental assessment is smaller and less detailed than environmental impact statement. They'll develop one or the other and then they will send that out to the public for comment. And in the EA or EIS, they will have different alternatives for management. So one alternative may focus on opening areas for motorized use or opening areas for more trails and more development. Another alternative, which is what we propose, is, you know, the zoned recreation management approach and limiting the number of new trails, limiting motorized use, limiting development. So there's different alternatives that the BLM is going to look at and analyze, and you will have the opportunity to comment on those different alternatives and the ones you want. And if none of them are very good, you can, you know, let them know what you want. (laughs) I hope that explains it well. It certainly does. And I really appreciate you emphasizing the uniqueness of our opportunity to even get involved. So uh, hopefully that will drive a few more folks to get involved in the process and voice their opinions. Because like I said, there's a lot of folks uh, who listen to this podcast who also know the swell really well and can speak from personal experience. And I know that's what the agency is looking for. So we strongly encourage that. Judy, uh, really appreciate you joining us to explain all of this for us. Uh, Again, I know there was a lot of detail. Uh, Your time and expertise on this is greatly appreciated. So thanks for taking the time to explain it. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you.
Wild Utah is recorded at Sua's main office in Salt Lake City on equipment purchased through the generosity of our members. Sua is primarily member-funded. Over 90% of our revenue comes directly from people who care about protecting southern Utah's Red Rock country. We're proud of that because it keeps our voice independent. If you'd like to help protect Wild Utah today, please head to SUA.org and click the Donate button. We appreciate your support. Wild Utah's theme music, What's Worth, is composed by Moab singer-songwriter Haley Noel Austin. Our interlude music, Chuck's Guitar, is by Larry Pattis. Post-studio editing and production is by Laura Borshevsky. To stay informed about current events at SUA, visit us at SUA.org and click on Get Involved to discover how you can join the movement to protect Wild Utah. To receive information and alerts via text message, text the word Utah to 52886. Again, text the word Utah to the number 52886. Follow the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance on Facebook, on Instagram at Protect Wild Utah, and on Twitter at Southern UT Wild. And be sure to subscribe to the Wild Utah podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or your favorite podcast app. Visit sua.org forward slash podcast for additional ways to subscribe and to access our archive of previous episodes. On behalf of SUA, I'm Dave Pacheco. Thanks for taking the time to listen. We hope you can join us for the next episode of Wild Utah.